Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink for Eli James on Yahweh's Covenant People. Um, Eli is off tonight, and Ken Gregg is off tonight, and here I have Clifton Emmerheiser as a guest. Um, I thank Ken for taking the night off and affording me the opportunity to interview Clifton. And Eli will be back on Friday night on the Chris DeGeno Show at 8 p.m. Clifton, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. This is your first time here on um, on Talk Show. I, I, I hope you're not too nervous. I, I was pretty nervous when I started doing this a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I get stage fright real easy. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Just relax, uh, and it's just a telephone conversation. That's yeah, right. <clears throat> I um I'd I'd like to know I'd I'd like to know I'm sure that everybody listening a lot of these people listening and and people that'll that'll get the show out of the archives later in the week they've been reading your writing for a long time and I'm sure they'll be really happy to hear from you and I'm sure that um they would like to know how you came into into Israel identity and and how you realized that two seed line was the truth to Israel identity yeah well it's and, a it's kind of a long story. Well, that's okay. I, I, we have an hour and a half. I'll try to keep it brief, you know. But uh, I think the Almighty was leading all along. Uh, it caused things to happen. And uh, I was uh, just a happy go- uh, going uh, church goer at the time, you know. And uh, 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 I, was, I was going to the Nazarene Church here in Fostoria, Ohio. And uh, I think that uh, the kind of the turning point at the church was uh, we we had got a new pastor and he was from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, uh, he he had a son with him. He had some other children too, but uh, anyway, this um, his son uh, started uh, stealing uh, wine at the Kroger store here in town, and uh, one morning. Uh, uh, got up uh, my usual time to go to work, and on the WFOB, the Fostoria station, that come over the air that here uh, Danny Clay had been stealing uh, wine from the Kroger store, and of course my wife, she uh, it just mortified her uh, to uh, think that uh, somebody from the church was acting that way. In fact, she went up to the Kroger store and apologized to Alex Howard, the manager up there, uh, uh, because she was so ashamed uh, of what had happened. And, of course, uh, Danny's mother uh, sided in with him and said it wasn't too bad. What he'd done wasn't too bad. And uh, and I could see right away that uh, if I didn't, if we didn't take a position on the matter, that that was given license to my son to go do the same thing. So I had to stand my ground, and that uh, kind of got me started off in a different direction. And uh, I tried uh, going to some various other churches. In fact, we went to uh, our preacher had moved to Marion, and we drove down there for maybe six months or so, uh, we didn't go every Sunday, but we'd drive. It was about 45 miles away, and we'd drive down there and back. Uh, uh, and uh, that didn't work out. We tried some other churches, and and things just didn't go go too well in in that way. 
And uh, that was, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s. And, uh, of course, by that time, um, the hippies had come and uh, come and uh, the drug culture was started and and a lot of the bad things was uh, beginning to start. I didn't uh, realize uh, just how serious it was, as a matter of fact. But... Um, Anyway, I think that was a turning point. Uh, so it was just a, a general um, dissatisfaction with with your with your neighborhood churches. Yes, you right, right. And uh, 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 the Almighty, I, I'm sure, was in it because uh, we couldn't find anything that was satisfactory. And and um, what were you looking for? Well, I really didn't know. Uh, you know, I knew something was the matter in the world, but I, you know, I couldn't put my finger on it. And uh, but I, I, I saw all of this happening, and uh, uh, as time went on, uh, I kept looking, and uh, the only thing I could kind of put my finger on was witchcraft. And, um, and not that I wanted to learn to be a witch, but I, I would. Uh, uh, study on that subject to, you know, do research into it, uh, see what it was all about, and 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 that is part of the situation. Which witchcraft does play a part in this whole situation, and uh, uh, I think the most interesting thing I got into the uh, into witchcraft was the tongues. It seems like uh, the this tongues thing is this kind of a thing with the witches. <laughs> so you think that speaking in tongues is is really a form of witchcraft? Or yeah, witches, there, uh, I had uh, I had kind of evidence on that from different writers that uh, kind of uh, led you to that opinion, and and uh, it's sort of a person begging to be opened up to be possessed. Yeah, yeah, right, and. Uh, uh, did you try? Did you try the Pentecostal churches? No. When you were searching for a new church? Uh, no, I I did uh, I I like to stay away from them. Uh, uh, of course, the churches that I was going was almost Pentecostal, but they didn't get involved in the tongues. And and what turned you off about the churches that you were looking for at the time? What what what? Is well, it was various things. You know, I can't remember everything, but it just wasn't satisfied with. Uh, uh, the uh, situations that, that I run into, and uh, so how did you first get led to to identity to Israel identity as a, as a? Well, uh, I got the. Uh, it, it was kind of a gradual thing. I um, uh, I got to studying this witchcraft, and uh, then I, I uh, run across the uh, term. Some of them would speak of the Illuminati, but they wouldn't. Uh, uh, say what it was or anything, and uh, then there was a guy that claimed to be a witch by the name of John Todd, and uh, uh, he started to open up things. And in fact, there was a time when I kind of considered everything John Todd said, you know, is a hundred percent. But I realized now that he was only if he if he was fifty percent, he was doing good. But uh, John Todd. Um, Book of the of a book uh, uh, 
at the time, and he was telling all the bad stuff that was going on in the world, you know, uh, from his viewpoint. And uh, he he kept referring to a book, The Fourth Right of the Rich by Dees Griffin. And, um, uh, and, and I got to baking his tapes and handing them out to people and stuff like that, figuring that uh, he, knows, he knew what was going on. But, uh, uh, and later I had a Catholic priest come into the shop and I got to talking, you know, and, and he, he mentioned the, uh, uh, he, he was a little bit different than most priests. And uh, he was he was real friendly uh, person, and uh, uh, he would come to the shop often, and he was always fr- friendly with my other customers. So he's he didn't he's one of these guys that never met a stranger, <laughs> and, and uh, he, he could make a conversation with anybody. And uh, I got to talking to him, and he says, "Well, did, did you did you ever hear of the Illuminati?" I said, "Yes, I've." heard of it but you know I've looked it up in the dictionary I can't find anything on it and then he told me that he had sent over into Indiana for some uh, uh, little brochures on it uh, a little pamphlets like uh, I think was about 10 pages or something and and uh, he said he had ordered a dozen and I said well when you get them in I says could I buy a copy off of you and uh, about three days there he showed up, and he had a copy of that. I sat down and read that thing over and over and over. It, it was the same material that comes from uh, 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 Fagan, you know. I, I was just going to ask if it was similar to the Myron Fagan. Myron, Myron Fagan, yeah. And it was kind of a, uh, uh excerpt uh, of that, uh, an abridged form of it. And, but it it gives the initial facts, and and I begin to realize uh, who was running the world, and that was my uh, first um, connection with anybody. And, and he had a bunch of John. T- Maybe that's how uh, we got on the subject. Uh, it might have been because I, I had some John Todd tapes from another source, and he had some more. And I purchased those from him, and I'd make copies of them and pass them out and that sort of thing, thinking that Todd had uh, some of the answers. And and uh, but one one customer of mine came in, and um, uh, he was uh, communicating uh, with a guy by the name of Jim Shaw down in Florida, and. And Jim Shaw was exposing the Masons. Uh, Jim Shaw had been a Masons, and, and a Mason, and uh, his dentist informed him, you know, what he was in. So uh, he realized what kind of an organization he was in, and he was trying to fight the organization. And and uh, inside this little, uh, there was there was a little case with four tapes. You know, you open it up, two on each side, and there was a piece of paper in there. And lo and behold, uh, Jim Shaw was selling a, f- a few items, you know, and I looked on his list, and he had The Fourth Right of the Re- Rich by Dees Griffin. And and that was the beginning of my uh, research into the, uh, f- finding underground books. In fact, um, when I got that book... Uh, the fourth right of the rich. Uh, these, these Griffin had advertised in the back there 
probably a good 200 other books, you know. Okay. And and um, so I, uh, I, I, I got to, to studying the conspiracy pretty strong. And, um, but, uh, uh, I started ordering these books, you know, and, and some of the first, one of the first books, uh, I don't know how long, far along the line that I, I ordered it, but I got this book, Pawns in the Game by William Guy Carr. Which is on your website now. Yeah, it's on the website now, right? And, uh, uh, and, and in fact, I attached it to, uh, the, the link to all my, um, People who's on my email list uh, to get that so that they could uh, have reference to that book. Uh, okay, because you speak pretty well of that book. Yeah, right. And and uh, I would like to read just a little bit out of the book if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. Um, this is Pawns in the Game. Yeah, Pawns in the Game. And uh, William Guy Carr, it, it, it talks about the author on the inside of the front page, you know, and William Guy Carr, and, and uh, he was a commander. Uh, during World War One, and a uh, submarine commander and all that. Uh, but uh, it says here, at the age of 12, the author was thoroughly indoctrinated into the Bolshevik ideology by two uh, revolutionary missionaries who traveled on the same ship with him out of the Orient in 1907. So yeah, well, socialism, that, uh, socialism has definitely spread through the churches, hasn't it? Oh, yes, yes, right. Okay, go on. Well, anyway, uh, here's this uh, here's this young boy, only 12 years old, and two uh, uh, people trying to uh, talk in, him into becoming uh, a communist, you know. And uh, now he, he had enough sense at that age to just listen to him and, and then check it out later, which I think is... Um, uh, quite a quite uh, saying quite something about a, a, a boy twelve years old to to take that attitude. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, what what struck me, you know, here here are these uh, two people. I don't know how old they are. Don't say, but they were probably uh, you know full grown men, and they getting this boy uh, to uh, getting to follow this Bolshevism. Yeah, well, Catholic priests corrupt little boys in many more ways than that. <laughs> oh yeah, but but uh, but see, that's following the line pretty good because um, uh, when when the communists come to this country and started infiltrating, the first place they hit was the colleges to go after the young people. And, and they've had great success in the Yes, they have. And then, then they trained the teachers to go come into our grade schools. And 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 our our grade school, you know, the, the teachers in our grades in high school uh, doing the same thing. And and I have many direct experiences that someday I may relate with, with high school teachers and even grammar school teachers and, and their, their own communist leanings, their own Marxist leanings it's crazy yeah and and uh william guy carr he uh in his books uh fog the fog the red the red fog over america i think that's what it's yeah uh the red fog over america is the name of it which is a sequel to this other book and and he calls him calls them uh bolshevik jews and when did carr publish that uh 
Because that sounds like McCarthyism before Joe McCarthy. Well, the last chapter in the book is about Joe McCarthy. Oh, okay. Uh, let me, not, it may be an addendum. Uh, uh, got the present dangers is the last chapter. I admire Joe McCarthy, and, and I think he was probably the last great patriotic senator, except for the fact that he had a Jew as, as, his, as one of his chief staff members. Yeah. And, and I could never understand that. Yeah, uh, maybe it's in the Red Fog Over America, the last chapter. That's about uh, McCarthy. The Norman case. Uh, well, how did now? How did you make the leap from William Guy Carr and the conspiracy? Because that's very interesting. Because I myself came to realize Christian identity was true, because, and I think for the greatest part, I had already studied a lot of history, but I had already also read some conspiratorial histories. Uh-huh. And 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 that was the year before I I discovered and and actually I was introduced to Christian identity. Mm-hmm. I I had been reading conspiratorial. I read A Ralph Epperson The Unseen Hand and I read um Defrauding America by Rodney Stitch and and one or two other books and and they when I was introduced to identity it everything clicked. Mm-hmm. So how did you get from William Guy Carr into um, Wesley Swift and Bertrand Cabaret? Because that's still a it's still a good leap, I think. Yeah, well, uh, this didn't happen all at once. Uh, uh, I got in, you know, I got to reading these. Uh, in fact, I, every time I could get the money, I would send away for four or five uh, more books. And in fact, uh, I got these books. Uh, uh, it's stamped in the front here. Uh, I got it from Emissary Publication Post Office Box uh, 642, South Pasadena, California, and so on, which they're in Oregon, not Clackamas, Oregon, is, is where. And I don't, I don't think he's actually uh, selling the books anymore. Uh, I think he may have a website and all that, but uh, uh, he may still do some writing. I used to get his publication too. Uh, Forget the name of that, but anyway, I got uh, I got into this real strong, and I was reading book after book after book, uh, and sometimes I would read until my eyes would go out of focus, and uh, sometimes uh, my wife, knowing that uh, that was happening, she'd pick up the book and and start reading for me for an hour or two till my eyes come back and focus, and <laughs> I just sat there and listened to her, uh, and. Uh, but anyway, uh, later on, uh, uh, I, I had uh, one of my customers. Of course, I talked to a lot. I talked this stuff to a lot of customer. And I had one customer that brought me in the book, um, uh, Herbert Armstrong, uh, Strong's book, America and Britain and Prophecy. And and he actually taught a very watered down, thinned out version of Israel identity. Yeah, Herbert Armstrong. Yeah, right. Uh, uh and um i didn't trust him for the from the very beginning but i couldn't refute the scriptures that he was quoting and uh, uh i had been uh, getting stuff uh from sheldon emery like the, the, the pamphlets uh uh billions for the bankers and debt for the people and stuff like that i was handing out to people in the shop and and i i passed out a lot of information like that 
And uh, I had noticed that Sheldon Emery kind of had something along the same line as what Herbert Armstrong had. So I sent him a little money, I think $15, and I I said, "Uh, do you have anything like this? I said, I don't trust Armstrong. And so he sent me the book, um, Joseph Scepter, uh, see, what is it? Uh, Judith Birdwright and Joseph Scepter? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa. Yeah, I think it's vice versa. uh, Joseph Scepter and Joseph's birthright and Judith Scepter would have Yeah, right. <laughs> Something like that. Judas Scepter and Joseph's birthright, I think. That's but, probably yeah. it. Uh, and um, essentially that book said the same thing as uh, Armstrong, uh, only it was a better book. But the thing of it is, uh, whoever was out in Sheldon Emery's uh, uh, filling his orders and so on put a note in there that uh, – the guy that wrote uh, Joseph Scepter and uh, uh, or Judas Scepter and Joseph Birthright, Allen was his name. I forget his first name, last name. His last name's Allen. Said that he didn't understand. And it's like the British Israel today; they still under understand who the Jews are. No, because they stopped learning. They they achieved the learning of of um, the the Britons who discovered Israel in in the 1800s. Yeah, they stopped studying right there. Yeah, they they realized after Sir Henry Layard dug up the Assyrian archives, they realized, hey, the Sake of the Saxons and where Israel, and that's where they stopped learning. Yeah, well, they and, they and, have never. Uh, now they're getting better. Uh, Alan Campbell has begun to realize. Uh, that well, there are a lot of British people in in that that. In Britain, people in Britain who are British identity or former British identity that are paying some attention to, and and a, a great number of them are listeners here, and they're they're excellent people who are paying some attention to, um, to seed line and and Christian Israel identity as we teach it here, and and I give them a lot of credit for that because they're taking a lot of heat from it from their British identity um, brethren and back home. Well, I, I tell you, I don't think it's the safest thing. It's not safe over here, but but they don't have the freedom over there to speak on this the way we have. Oh, absolutely, they they do not. And, and I had one call a man call me from England, and uh, uh, he was even hesitant to make the call. And what he wanted to know, uh, he had got a hold of some of my brochures, you know, and and what he really wanted to ask me if I cared whether he. Um, copied them or not and I, you know i said a copy as many as you want and he told me he, he says that uh it's dangerous over here to to uh have this kind of literature yes it is and i've been told the same thing by friends in north island yeah and, and in canada yeah yeah that 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 have that they won't accept pamphlets or anything in the mail even because they're they're afraid of the authorities there mm-hmm and, it, it's a shame because historical truth is historical truth. And if the Edomites came out of out of first century Palestine as as Judeans or Jews, and and the, the people that call themselves Jews today descended from those Edomites, I mean that's that's a historical fact. And and that shouldn't be um, you, you shouldn't have to worry about. I I understand why they are worried about it, and and it's a it's a real travesty. That these people are, are threatened by that, by just repeating historical truths, it, it's a, it's really a shame. 
Well, that's one reason uh, that I'm kind of impressed with William Guy Carr because uh, on page 11, uh, he says this, Today the term Jew is used very loosely to define people who have at one time or another embraced the Jewish faith. Many of those are not actually Semitic or uh, in racial origin. A great number of the people who uh, accepted the Jewish faith are descendants of the Herodians who were Idumeans or Turkish among, of, of Turkish-Mongolian bloods. They are actually Edomites. And then as a footnote here at the bottom of the page, see Jewish Encyclopedia, Volume 5, page 41, uh, 1925. Uh, it states, Edom is in modern Jewry. Also, Professor Lotrop Stoddard, the eminent ethnologist, states the Jews own uh, the Jews owns re records admit that 82% of those who subscribe to political Zion, Zionist movement are Ashkenazim, so-called Jews, but are not Semitic. They are. There are many different opinions on the on the racial matters. And then on page uh, 25, uh, uh, you know. I'll tell you what I did. I cut the pages out of this book, and I, I, I Xeroxed Xerox these two pages and, and give to the customers, you know, uh, uh, various various ones I, you know, that I thought might be interested. And then on page uh, 25 here in a paragraph, it's under the heading, it's chapter 3, The Men Who Caused the French Revolution. The Jewish Encyclopedia says Edom is in modern Jewry. This is a very important admission because the word Edom means red. History reveals that a Jewish goldsmith, Amschel Moses Bauer, uh, tired of his wanderings in Eastern Europe and decided in 1750 to settle down in Frankfurt on the Main in Germany. He opened a shop or counting house in the Judenstrasse district over the door of his shop, he placed a sign uh, of business, a red shield. It is of the greatest importance to remember that the Jews in Eastern Europe who belong to the revolutionary movement based on terrorism, revolutionary movement based on terrorism, had also adopted the red flag as their emblem because it represented blood. And, and the Battenbergs have a, a red wagon wheel on a white flag as their family emblem. <laughs> I don't know, but it's not an Israelite emblem. <laughs> I have I have that. It in, kind in, of in, seems to me like it's a wandering Jew emblem. <laughs> I I have that in in color that, that emblem that the Battenbergs have. Uh, but most interesting of all, uh, on page. Uh, 105. It starts in 104, um, and and it speaks about Churchill uh, was was a Zionist and said he'd always be a you know uh, his words and and I intend to be so. That's what, uh, and then there was a a guy by the name of Weissman and and James uh, Weissman. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't. I can't see his first name here. It just says Weissman, and 
in, in a published statement uh, in, in a publication called uh, Judas G. R U N D S C H A U number four nineteen twenty. Uh, but anyway, uh, it states uh, here the two statements combined uh, show the. Uh, international extent of their secret ambitions. Eight years after I had finished this chapter of the original manuscript, the following report came into my possession through the Canadian intelligence. See, uh, uh, this uh, William Guy Carr, he he ended up in the Canadian intelligence service, so he was getting uh, a lot of this, evidently a lot of his stuff from there. Because the statements uh, made at the uh, conference held in Budapest on January the 12th, uh, 1952, supports my uh, contentions made in 1944 and confirms the conclusions I arrived at in 1924, I assert uh, the report of which speech given in 1952 here verbatim, it was originally made available uh, to an American publication, Common Sense, by Eustace, uh, Mr. Eustace Mullins, an uh, authority on the Marxist conspiracy. Well, uh, uh, you know that, Bill, where I've uh, uh, quoted... Uh, a, a, a Jew by the name of uh, Rabbi Emanuel Rabinovich, you know, and what their plans were? Yes. And uh, over on page, I, 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 I won't start in where it starts, but uh, here was a paragraph in that report. We will openly reveal our identity with the races of Asia and Africa. I can state with assurance that the last generation of white children is now being born. Our control commission will, in the interest of peace and uh, wiping out interracial tensions, forbid the whites to mate with whites. The white women must cohabit with the members of the dark races, the white men with black women. Thus, the white race will disappear for mixing of the dark with the white means the end of the white man and our most dangerous enemy will become only a memory. We shall embark upon an era of 10,000 years of peace and plenty. The Pax Judica and our race will rule undisputed over the world. Our Superior intelligence will easily enable us to retain mastery over a world of dark people. Right, and that's what their rabbis, that's the agenda that their rabbis have. Even if the common Jew in the street is ignorant of it, the, their rabbis fully fully carry out that agenda. And uh, I, I didn't realize it, but evidently he got that from Eustace Mullins' writings. Okay. Well, Eustace actually did a lot of research like that, but yeah. that Rabinovich must—he wrote that back in before the 1950s, I think, or maybe in the 1950s. Yeah. Maybe even sooner than that. And and they've had this plan that that you wrote about that play, The Melting Pot. Yeah. That was yeah. In like right. 1910. That was a hundred years ago. 
Yeah. That they were they were pushing this propaganda. And America wasn't a melting pot. It was only a melting pot of, of various, the English and the Irish and the Germans, who all came from the same place in the first place. Well, this same Rabinovich bragged on how many uh, Goyim was killed, you know, uh, meaning the American and British soldiers and the different ones, was, uh, ki- uh, the white people that was, white men that was killed during World War II or maimed to the point where that they were useless to society. And he bragged about that at this same meeting. So after finding all this conspiracy thing, and it's interesting how many of us actually come into Israel identity truth and and reject our mainstream churches because of our learning about the you know the conspiratorial view of history. How did all this get you to Wesley Swift and, and Bertrand Compare and studying their material? Well, uh, it, I uh, I started uh, uh, ordering books from different. Uh, underground book places, and and that's where Compare uh, material started to show up and Wesley F- Swift material started to show up. Uh, I just branched out. Uh, uh, it was almost uh, the Sons of Liberty down in Louisiana where they had far more, uh, uh, more books down there than what um, this emissary publication had, but uh, emissary publication books got me started. And uh, there was a time there that I could have probably spent, uh, if I'd have had the money, I could have probably uh, bought $10,000 worth of books from uh, Sons of Liberty. They had yeah, that. We, can, we can never have enough books, <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, some some of them were better than others, you know. But but I, I like this uh, William Guy Carr. Uh, he, he was Roman Catholic, and it shows in his book a little bit, but... Uh, uh, he, he's a man that really did his research. You know, I, I, after after studying myself, you know, for all these years, and go back, uh, I, I I went back to this book today just to review some of this stuff. Uh, and uh, uh, but it, this man has his facts straight. And that's available on your website in the recommended reading section at emmaheiser.com. Uh, if I can find that pawns in the game, uh, maybe that's going to be on there too. Uh, not pawns in the game, but the the Red Fog over America because it's the sequel to the book. And and what? So you were basically convinced of two seed line before you heard of two seed line, maybe? No, uh, uh, I gradually changed. Uh, in fact, uh, even when I had Cars Material Hill telling me that the Jews uh, were Edomites, I accepted that 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 some of them were, but even then. I thought, well, there there must be a, some of them that are pure Judah, you know, and, and so it took me some time. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe ten, twelve years to to get around to uh, figure that all the Jews are bad. <laughs> there isn't any good ones. <laughs> no, there aren't. I, I mean, there are some Jews. The ones that are called adopted call white Jews. children, but they were raised in Judaism, and and the, their minds are. The ones that have mixed with the Canaanites, you know, and the Edomites. Right. The the Jews that came out of Judea and 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 disbelieving Christ. Everybody who descended from those people are are the seed of they're the seed the children of Cain and and Satan. They are Satan as a collective group, just as we are the anointed as a collective group. That's two opposing forces in the world. The two seeds of Genesis three fifteen. What brought you to that to that? 
I'd like to know how you came to that conclusion. Well, I, I, I uh, got into the two seed line uh, oh, uh, about uh, 15 years ago, and, uh, and the more I got into it, uh, the more I stayed with it. Uh, uh, at the time, Jim Wickstrom was into that, and I went to a few of his meetings, and uh, and uh, uh, he told me that uh, a lot of the people in identity had dropped two seed line, and uh, most of them had turned against it. And but two seed line was the original. I mean. When William Gale and and Wesley Swift and Bertrand Comprehend, when they were teaching Israel identity, it was two. Oh, they were both real strong two seed line. And and that was probably the earlier form of of identity, rather than what does Brueggemann and Stephen Jones and Charles Weissman and all these turkeys teach now. Well, I, I think I think uh, Stephen uh, Jones probably has done much as damage as any any single person in identity. Uh, he come out with that book, The Babylonian Connection, and tried to prove that uh, two seed line was a Babylonian uh, part of a Babylonian religion. Right, but what I'm saying is that two seed line teaching was around before they were. That, that yeah, right. They corrupted Christian identity. That it's not two seed line that's corrupting Christian identity. Well, I hate to mention it, but uh, you know, the truth is the truth. And see, E. Raymond Cap. Uh, his earlier material shows two C-line. I've got material by him that he definitely was two C-line. And he was talked out of it by Stephen Jones. That, that surprises me to man, that a man like E. Raymond Cap could be talked out of the truth. Yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you what, I think as Stephen Jones could sell uh, refrigerators to Eskimos. Well, <laughs> he should have been a car salesman then. <laughs> yeah, he, he missed his calling. He'd probably be a much better car salesman than. But you know, he's got past. a brother. He's got a brother that uh, believes that uh, Eve was seduced. You know. Yes, I have one letter from him that you would actually sent me years ago when I yeah. Have it my but uh, his problem is the uh, uh, his name's Philip, and Philip Jones believes that uh, Eve was seduced by a black person. Right, and and. I, I can understand why, and that's not um, scriptural as far as the um, – that's not really scriptural, period, but it's definitely not scriptural as far as what the apocryphal literature tells us. The apocryphal literature tells us that it was definitely one of the fallen angels who seduced Eve. Yeah, right. Now, if um, you want to believe that the fallen angels were black um, – well, I, I think I think, I think that, that – uh, I think that um, Swift uh, thought that because he talked about the curly heads, you know. Well, Swift actually, Wesley Swift actually taught that the Negroes, the the black Africans, were brought here by. Oh yeah, that's by way. the fallen angels. Yeah. And and I think he came to that conclusion because of some of the Dogon tales, uh -huh. the legends of the Dogons, where they actually believed that they came from the planet Sir a planet which orbits Sirius. Yeah, and and this story, these stories were supposedly discovered by British anthropologists in the middle of the 20th century, studying the Dogon people of Kenya. Uh huh. That the Dogons believed that they came here. They were actually brought here from uh, the the planet that 
some planet that circles Sirius, that circles the star Sirius. Well, I, I like uh, uh, Wesley Swift. Uh, the only problem uh, I, I can complain about him, he would say things, but he'd never document it. Right, and those early identity teachers, they, even Comparé, he didn't document much of what he said. And and even Raymond E. Raymond Katz, in a lot of his books, he might give you the, the classical author, but he wouldn't give you the chapter and, and the book. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I I had read a few quotes of Diodorus Siculus by E. Raymond Katz, and Diodorus Siculus is 12 volumes, and I, I was pretty disappointed getting through volumes 9, 10, 11, and not seeing what Katz, the words that Katz attributed to Theodorus, and I did find them in volume 12, finally, and that was a relief. <laughs> and I, I read a lot of the classics, and what motivated me early on to start reading the classics were the statements made by Swift and Compare and Katz that I wanted to prove out for myself and, huh? and, and, and see if these things were really so. And I found that most of what they said, I, I can verify in the classics, but you're right, they didn't make the annotations. They didn't make the citations that they should have. Well, I think one of the things here, Rabinovich uh, said that I, I think is kind of outstanding. He says, we will openly reveal our identity with the races of Asia and Africa. That's saying that the Jews have both Mongolian and African blood in them. Well, right, that is. That does say that, and, and I I believe that the learned Jews, I, I don't they, know how they, they know it. They know who they are. Yes, they do know who they are. But they, they also have to realize that they're not Israel in order to, to know who they are. <laughs> and and they they know they're Redom. They, they know that they're Edomites. They have it in their own writing. It's just hate if we state who they are. It's only hate when a white man states the truth. The the Negroes and the Jews can can state things all the time, and it can't possibly be hate. It's 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 a very hypocritical society that we live in because it's it's Satan rules the world. That's the way it is. You know, we get most of our um, information on the Edomites from Josephus, but but. Um... Uh, William Guy Carr, he, he didn't. He doesn't even mention Josephus. Okay, but I, uh, you know, it. There is one line in Strabo, and Strabo gives one line, a one, a one sentence mention that the Edomia was absorbed by Judea, but it's only one line, and Strabo predates. His writing predates Josephus's by about 75 years. And mm-hmm. and I cited it in a couple of my papers, but I can't remember where off the top of my head. But it's only one line. It's not it's not a, a, a drawn-out explanation like Josephus gives about the, you know, the conquering of specific cities by the Maccabees and things like that. So I didn't get – it took me a few years to uh, – stumbling over different things uh, – I, I was pretty bad shape. Uh, I believed in the uh, secret rapture, and I believed uh, most of the stuff in churchianity, you know, and uh, and the Jews were God's cousin. So it was a big change. Uh, you know, I almost had to change my mind on everything I ever. In fact, I, I, I said a prayer one time. I prayed to the Almighty. Is, is everything that I ever learned, is, is it just the opposite? Because it, it, I had to... 
almost do a complete 180 degree turn on everything. Well, you believe what the church has told you, uh, like a good Christian, and that's what they all do today, and that's probably the the worst thing they could do. And we we realize that now, but it, it's a long trip from there to here. Yeah, and, and you know, it took me. You see, uh, some of the people today have the advantage of having. You know, I didn't even know Swift and, and Compare were around for a while. And so I was having to figure a lot of this stuff out without any assistance. So I think that's one one reason why it took me so long. Um, I I can see that because I, I I owe a great amount of debt in my studies to well to yourself too, and and mostly to to Bertrand Compare, who who I I read at great length and and studied at great length, and and he was probably my first. Um, impetus was for studying the scripture and, and the history to the degree that I did, mm-hmm. and and we owe them a, a tremendous debt. And but we also have to recognize the mistakes that they made and, and pray that we don't repeat them. Well, ever since this message started with uh, John Wilson and Edward Hine, uh, uh, it's been a process of. Uh, uh, Going deeper into it, uh, they didn't really um, understand a lot, even though they were the beginners uh, in it. Uh, right, they, they, they made a lot of mistakes. Well, well, right, they did, but we we have to realize that we can keep on studying and, and keep learning. And well, hadn't they got it started, we probably would still be not know anything about it. Absolutely. I appreciate it for for them getting it started. Uh, and I, I really think John Wilson, see, uh, the name Wilson means wolf's son. And I believe that he was a Benjamite, and, and Benjamin, Benjamin was supposed to be a light to Judah. And so it doesn't surprise me that, that a man by the name of Benjamin, or, or has an, uh, of Wilson, which means a wolf's son, which is a symbol of Benjamin and, and an indication that he's a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, right. That that would uh, you know, uh, we we end we, we after Paul we didn't have anybody, and then another another Benjamite comes along. Right. It, it's been a long time from Paul to John Wilson. That's the certain. <laughs> yeah. Paul right. was a Paul taught Christian identity. Yeah. Paul, wherever he went, he he informed those people that they were the descendants of the Israelites of the Old Testament, didn't he? Yeah. That's evident in, in every one of his epistles. Uh, yeah, he he it says we passed under the cloud and we did this, you know. <laughs> he didn't say I did it. <laughs> right. He didn't say my ancestors passed out of the cloud. He said. Our ancestors, all yeah. of our ancestors passed under the cloud. Yeah. And he was talking to Dorian Greeks in Corinth, which a lot of people, most people don't understand until the time of John Wilson. And and it's amazing that that could be, statements like that could be shrouded for 2,000 years and, and people not understand them. And, well, when they took the Bible and chained it uh, uh, in the Catholic Church or someplace, uh, and not allowing anybody to get to it, uh, brought on the Dark Ages, and, and there, there's a lot of people that uh, were blind on account of that. 
Oh, absolutely. People couldn't actually, you know, Bede actually talks about the rendering of scripture in the native Saxon tongue. And and he was more or less a Catholic, um, maybe not a Catholic as as we're acquainted with the word, but he was a follower of the Romish Church, and and he was a Romish Church cleric, and and sympathized with them, and and you know the one true church and all that, and and he was convinced of that. But he also made statements, and and this is in the seventh century, that they were um, familiar with a lot of scripture and, and their vulgar in the Saxon tongue. Mm-hmm. And and it had to be sometime after Bede. Actually, I think he wrote in the eighth century, and, and it had to be sometime after Bede that the the church began to um, prohibit that the translation of scripture and and the dissemination of scripture to the common people. But in Bede's time, it, it was a, a practice that was being actually actually being practiced. It was actually being done the, the translation of scripture. Not on a mass scale where they had books because they didn't have the printing presses that, that Guttenberg, you know, that the later reformers had. Yeah, it was really the printing presses that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that brought they us out of this. this message for a good 15 years be- before you started teaching, before you actually started writing. Mm-hmm. And And what made you decide to do that? Oh, to start writing? Yes. Well, uh... Uh, one thing, my wife had died in 1993, and um, uh, I'd get up in the morning and, and go to work, you know, like I usually did, and I'd uh, say to myself, I, I, I really wouldn't have to be doing this, you know, and uh, uh, come along that I, I had a heart attack one night, and I had to call 9-11, they 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 uh, come and picked me up and uh, took me to the hospital and then they put me on a helicopter and flew me up to uh, Toledo and and I I had thought about writing well I I uh, um, uh, I think I already had a computer and I was doing a little bit you know and uh, I just promised the Almighty to get me through that I just spend the rest of my life uh, writing. That, that's uh, I, I really uh, made a commitment there, and uh, as soon as I could, I, I just sold out the property. I owned the property and and uh, all my equipment. And I, I sold all the equipment, burned my bridges behind me, and for the last 12 years, I've been writing. And that's it. It was it seems like a pretty easy decision. <laughs> well. Uh, uh, Yeah, it, uh, it, it took the heart attack, though, I think, to make me do it. So, it, it, You you were sort of compelled or impelled into it. Yeah, I, I had a, uh, a small laptop computer there in the shop, and uh, and, uh, and and I was even even getting into two-seed line uh, at the time there because of what Jim Wickstrom told me. And the uh, uh, first place I did, I, I went to... Uh, to the uh, Christian bookstore and got all the all the helps that I could get, you know, different uh, uh, the concordances and yeah, dictionary. Uh, a few commentaries, but uh, uh, 
like Gesenius and, and different helps like that. And uh, I, I just uh, took it as a challenge to uh, uh, because because I knew that uh, almost everybody in identity was against two C line and and uh, uh, I wasn't about to let Comparay and uh, Swift get uh, swept underneath the carpet. So you really set out to defend. Yeah, I, it, it was a defense defense move. Okay. On my part, yeah. That's interesting. So the, nobody really picked up the. Um, the torch from Comparay, except for who? Mike Hallamore in in Arkansas. Oh, uh, there's very few. Um, I, I know that you're familiar with him. I know that you know him. Yeah, my, yeah. I, uh, ministries. Uh, I, I've never met him personally. You know, I've done, done a little dealing with. Uh, uh, like like I bought that Apple story off of him and uh, to to distribute and a few things like that. Okay, and and Richard Butler, what did he had very little impact or uh, very I mean, little. There are, I know a lot of people are today um, still consider themselves to be Aryan nations, and and they learned or or had a, an early association with Richard Butler. Yeah, um, uh, of course, I had been going up to, uh, to Michigan to a few. Uh, meetings of Jim up there, and uh, uh, on one occasion, uh, Jim was uh, flying out to uh, Idaho to Butler's place out there, and he asked me to go along with him. I don't know why, but I thought about it, and I called him back and said, yeah, I'll uh, go with you. Know, how do we make arrangements to fly? And uh, and he was flying to Chicago, and I uh, uh I flew from Toledo to Chicago and met him there, and uh, we flew out there and back. Uh, it was an interesting experience, but uh, I wasn't really impressed with uh, Butler's uh, place out there. Was Harold there at the time? Didn't he get his start with Richard Butler? Who? D.S. Harold. Yeah, I'm not certain. Uh, uh, he might have. I don't know. Okay, I was under the impression that he did, but but he surely departed from Christian identity now. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I'm 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 uh, I'm not aware of aware of that connection at all. Okay. Uh, uh, I, uh, actually, uh, that thing out there was a branch of Swiss uh, organization, you know. Uh, Butlers, you know. Yes. Yeah. It was, well, well, yes, but Mike Hallomore was actually the. I I know Butler had claimed to be the the heir of Wesley Swift's ministry. Yeah. And but that claim competes with Kingdom Identity Ministries in Arkansas and and Hallomore's claim. And I I knew I knew Lorraine Swift personally, and I know that um, Mike Hallomore was actually the the heir to Wesley Swift's ministry and and inherited a lot of his library. Well, uh, Hallamore picked up Compare stuff too, you know, and and uh, Hallamore handled that uh, uh, America's Promise to Abraham, you know, that uh, that two three hundred and fifty page uh, a book that you helped proofread for Mrs. Snyder. Yes. And uh, yes, that that was um, it's Mrs. Snyder is missed. 
And, and Mrs. Snyder, she knew Compa Ray real well. Yes, she did, and I enjoyed her stories. Yeah. Someday, maybe I'll uh, I'll post some of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have all her letters. It's it's just that she's not with us any longer to um to share them with anybody. Well, I uh, I, I could see that uh, I might not be able to get those Compa Ray's books, you know, forever from her, and. Uh, 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 so I decided to scan them all, and uh, I scanned all of them and uh, reformatted them, and then I made critical notes to practically all of uh, Comparé's work. You know, I tried to praise him where he was right and uh, give him a little criticism where I felt he was wrong. Yes, well, that's that's the way we should be. We we should respect our teachers. But we should also be able to criticize them, because if we don't, then that's equivalent to putting them on a pedestal and 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 idolizing them. Yeah. And, and that, that's my own viewpoint, and I hope that people criticize me when when I'm wrong, and and I would appreciate that more than just being being yes to that. Or, or yeah, the one thing I think Pompey was uh, especially wrong is uh, he, he believed that. Sixth and eighth day creation thing, and and it just can't be. Right, and that can't be when when you take a close look at scripture. Yeah. And and that that was something that Comparay can be faulted for. It's like I, I have that I like have that Bible Works program, and I can go uh, go to the uh, Hebrew translation at Genesis one twenty seven there, and pick up the word man, and it's uh, S ha. Adam is what what the where it's a hyphenated word, and I can um, highlight that and right click on it, and uh, and it'll ask me if I want to do a string search, and I tell it yes, and it'll take me to every place that that same word is, and 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 where it, when it takes me there, it's in red then. Right, it's the same form of the same word everywhere it appears. Yeah, and it goes over to uh, Genesis uh, two, uh, two seven and two eight, and lo and behold, it's lit up in red over there. And I go back to one twenty seven, it's lit up in red, and there's about fifteen different scriptures where it's in that same form. Or I can take and just highlight the last three uh, uh, Hebrew letters. Uh, and and highlight those and right click and it takes me to all the places where Adam is. Right, and there's no doubt that when you actually study the Hebrew, that the Adam of Genesis one twenty seven is is absolutely the same Adam throughout the rest of the Bible. And the important thing, the word uh, uh, Dam is in there. The uh, the Am uh, and it, and it, in the Hebrew it means blood. Yes, it's, Adam is ruddy and rosy cheeked because Dam is blood, and that's Hebrew number eighteen eighteen in Strong's Concordance. Yeah, and, and that is the word Adam is clearly derived from that. And when I just take the last three letters uh, of it, it shows up something like five thousand times. If I wanted to go to all of them, and it would light up in red every every one of them. Yes, and and so the atom of Genesis one twenty seven certainly cannot be distinguished from the atom of the rest of the book. Right, they're all the same. 
the same being. Yahweh only created one race, and that's Adam, the Adamic race. As right. one race of man, there, there may have been bipeds in the beast creation. And, and well, I have no doubt that uh, there was people, a lot of people on this earth long before Adam ever came along. Well, surely, and and we're told that these fallen angels in, in the book of Enoch and the other apocryphal books actually w were cast out into the earth and went out and corrupted the original creation. But the thing that I stand on that uh, these other races, uh, are, are everything the Almighty created was good, but Christ uh, intimated at... Uh, John 13, uh, 47 through 50, that there's a, a good racial kind and a bad racial kind. Absolutely. In and the par plan. parable of the uh, net. The kingdom of heaven is like, a, 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 like uh, a net that is cast into the sea and draws in of every kind, and that's genos, and it means race. And that's exactly what's happened with the churches. That's, and and you go to these churches and you see all the races in there, just, just as Christ said. Absolutely. Christ good, thought that universalism would happen, didn't he? And he said the good racial kind will be um, uh, collected and placed in vessels. I see how is that? Uh, collected into vessels, and the bad racial kind will be uh, cast away. And and if if we get a new body, that's a new vessel, isn't it? Absolutely. And 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 that's saying that the others won't receive that vessel. That is true. Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. And when you go to the Genesis account, the only men that Yahweh planted here was Adamic man. And and how can I say that means that the Almighty didn't plant some of them? Yes, that it. Yes, that is saying that the Almighty did not plant some of them. When when Yahweh says that when Yahshua says that every plant my Heavenly Father has not planted, that that tells us that there's some plants here that Yahweh did not plant. That absolutely indicates that. And about the only way that's left for that to happen is miscegenation with something that is good with something that isn't good. Which is absolutely what the apocryphal literature tells us happened with the fallen angels. And, and it's not only the apocryphal literature that I'm relying on for that, because it's also explicitly repeated by Jude, and by Peter. Yeah. And they're quoting that same section of the Book of Enoch. Yeah, I, I'm real str uh, strong on, on this thing. Uh, uh, these other races uh, uh, aren't, aren't Adamic. Well, of course. And and the the belief of, of Compare and others in identity that that Yahweh had one creation of the other races in Genesis chapter 1 and a separate creation of Adam in some sort of eighth day in Genesis chapter 2 leads to one to believe that Yahweh created the other races and that they must be good. Yeah, and, and then uh, that's just an invitation to tell the daughter, here, go, go marry one of them. Right, it's an invitation to universalism, to race mixing. It opens the door to all sorts of evil. And the truth is that Yahweh only created Adam, and that Genesis chapter 2 is a separate account of the events of the creation, some of the events of the creation in Genesis chapter 1. Actually, Genesis uh, chapter 1 goes about three verses over into the 
next chapter, I believe that that's where the where there yes, should be does. a demarcation there. Yes, it does. Genesis chapter two should actually start at verse four. Yeah. Greg, I, I think Greg Howard has a question, but but he won't actually let us know what it is. <laughs> The, um, the the belief in two seed line, how has that affected your your life with with your friends? I I mean I I know I've experienced myself that I'm I'm excoriated by a lot of people because well I'll tell you I never run into anything that was so unpopular in all my life, but I'm one of these people that I I don't care what other people think. Well, right. That's the way we should be. That's exactly how we should be. We shouldn't care what other people think. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've always been a, kind of a loner anyway, you know, and, and uh, I can continue alone if I have to. Well, we have um, somebody who – Greg Howard is repeating a question that we're, we're trying to explain that He's asking you to ex discuss your thoughts on the origins of the other races, the Chinese, the blacks, and how they fit into the creation story in Genesis. Well, they they don't fit. Exactly. They don't fit into the creation story in Genesis. They, they're, they and and Christ himself, uh, uh, in the parable of the net, said that there's a, a bad racial kind and a good racial kind, and the good racial kind is going to be collected into vessels, and the other is going to be cast away, and, and and so these other people have a different origin. That's that's the words of Christ himself in Matthew chapter 13. Absolutely. They have to go into the category of plants that Yahweh did not plant. It, where he says that every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. and And that goes right with the parable of the net. Yeah, and and I appreciate uh, Compare probably more than any other identity minister, but I can't uh, agree with him on that particular item. Right, he was wrong on that. In in our opinion, he was he was wrong on that. Yeah. Uh, the others that may may want to go ahead and believe that, in spite of it, uh, that's that's there. Uh, well, that's that's the. The idea of a six-day and an eighth-day creation and the six-day creation being the other races, that actually is what fuels the the, the teachings of Pete Peters and Sheldon Emery and, and Dave Barley and Stephen Jones. And that's what they use to, to as a crutch to, to help them stand on. Yeah. And that's... That's what they support their universalism with. Yeah. And and it's a false teaching. And and yes, Bertrand Compare was caught up in it and I I can't I can't imagine why because Well, Compare had to contradict himself in order to uh and he did. Uh he would say one thing, you know, uh kind of include the other races and then other times he would make a separate from them. So uh any anybody that um, makes the other races created and good, uh, they have to contradict the, their own words. Right, and and Comparate did, and and I believe that in the notes that we we had added to his Revelation sermons that that's evident. 
and yeah. the, the bottom line is that the other races were not. Yeah, there were things in, in, on those 14 lessons in Revelation. Uh, uh, we, you know, you made the biggest share of notes on that, but there's there's places where it just had to be addressed. Well, I wasn't going to take the credit for it. <laughs> um, well, I, you 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 wrote out a lot of notes for me to type. <laughs> yes, the, yes, um, Greg. The origin of the non-Adamic races is miscegenation, and that's clear in the Book of Enoch, and it's also indicated to us by Jude and, and Peter, who quote they don't say it explicitly, but they. They purposely quote that section of the Book of Enoch, and it's in a paper that I wrote. It's available on my website and on Clifton's website called The Problem with Genesis 6, 1 to 4. And, and Yahweh created the Adamic race. We are specifically told that. Now, Yahweh also created a beast, crea- actually two creations of beasts, one in the fifth day and one in the sixth day. Now. Some of those beasts may well have been the beasts with hands, which are mentioned by Paul in Hebrews. They're mentioned in in the Exodus, I believe, in chapter 9 and and several other places in Scripture. And and these beasts with hands have the ability to to think for themselves, and, and this can be shown from Scripture, and to make decisions. And they're also to be punished when they do wrong, and that's evident in Scripture. However, they're not Adam, and and they're actually a creation of miscegenation. The other races, we're told that the fallen angels had mixed their seed with every other creature which was created, and, and that must be, if the other races weren't created by Yahweh, they must be a product of that miscegenation. That, that uh, documentation on that, that comes out of the Dead Sea Scrolls on the Book of Giants, isn't it? Yes, it does. It's also in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. And I make all my, unlike Wesley Swift and Bertrand Compare, I made all my citations, and and in my paper it shows every book that I got got that from. Yeah. And and the and the guy that that translated it, uh, that was in uh, was that in Aramaic or Hebrew? Uh, do you remember? Uh, remember that. Uh, well, the Dead Sea Scrolls. They showed the Dead Sea Scrolls on one page, and then they had the translation on the other. I believe they were in Aramaic and in Hebrew. It, it could be. It could have been uh, the uh, original scrolls. They, but they but that, actually... uh, those translators, they had, they didn't have an axe to grind, and they used the word miscegenation. Oh, right. You're talking about the translation, and that's. Um... The Martinez and Tikkalar translation of of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I got that from, and yes, they did use the word miscegenation. And, and they said that the that the fallen angels uh, committed miscegenation with animals. Yes, it does. That's the what it says angels there. Committed, and that's the only that's and and that's probably the origin of the Chimera myths. And there were myths amongst the Greeks and amongst the Assyrians and the Babylonians of of half-human, half-animal beings. And whether they were true or not, that's probably the origin of the myth. Whether they actually existed or not, it doesn't matter. We have the story in the, that's in, in the Hebrew apocryphal literature, and we have the, the myths in, in, the, in the pagan 
or, or secular, or however you want to term their literature, the, the pagan inscriptions. Yeah, see, those translators, uh, uh, they didn't have an axe to grind when they when they translated uh, miscegenation. Right, they translated miscegenation. Which and it, it, it's mixing. very similar to the way they're doing today is taking in the test tube, they'll take, like they took corn uh, uh, and, and they spliced on a, a oyster gene to it and uh, they mix uh, corn and uh, and uh, oyster together. Right, so basically the descendants of the fallen angels are still carrying on that program of destroying Yahweh's creation. Yeah, and you know that uh, they had a big uh, thing about that, uh, uh, that corn that they uh, spliced those genes and those uh, uh, farmers out in Iowa, they was bragging how much uh, corn they was getting, you know. And they had all those silos filled up there, and the people started getting sick. And uh, they had to get rid of that corn, and they, they weren't sure whether they could even clean up the silos. I never heard where they tore them down. Right, but, uh they don't really know the effects of a lot of those things before they try them. Yeah, it's, it's kind, of, kind of a dangerous thing that they're doing. And they they were selling this. I mean, there's a, these corn products was in tortillas and stuff like that, uh, and and people are getting sick on it. There, there's somebody in the forum that states that you're the first teacher that gave a concrete way to gauge the sensible to gauge sensibly the time of the return of Yahshua in in your paper. How long can Queen Elizabeth live? <laughs> Well, uh, Charles is an Edomite, isn't he? Who? Prince Charles. Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, well, he's a Jew. Uh, it goes back to a Jew by the name. Uh, it was a woman uh, by the name of Teresa Van Hawk. Yep. And and I got that out of uh, several encyclopedias. In fact, I didn't have the one encyclopedia. There was a lady. Back there, how they were able to pass them, uh, themselves off as um, 
Germans uh, was that there was a uh, there was a castle that was owned by some Germans, and, and the family died out, and some Jews moved into the castle and took the name. Yes, that was the Battenbergs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was. I think that the Prince of Hesse had a younger brother who married this von Hawk woman. Uh-huh. And it was agreed upon that she would not be elevated to nobility. Yeah, and they, they called it a morganetic wedding. Now, whatever morganetic means. Morgantic. It it has to do with the morning gift, that there wouldn't be one in this case, I believe. Yeah, right. It, it means that the, there'd be no descendants on the throne from this wedding. Right. And and they actually went back on that promise and, and on that deal a few years later. Well, about 50 years before that, there was another uh, uh, descendant of one of the czars, and he wanted to marry a Jewess. And I, docu- I, I can't think of what his name was, but I documented it, uh, where I got it from and everything, from the encyclopedias and so on. And uh, he wanted to marry a Jewess, and his father said, if you do, I'll disown you. And uh, he put it in writing, and he uh, he went and married the Jewess anyway. Well, I'm what I'm wondering is is there uh, an agreement out there someplace where uh, the Battenbergs uh, uh, that they can't go on the throne? Well, you know, Adolf Hitler wrote in Mein Kampf. He wrote complaining about how many German nobles were letting their daughters marry Jewish merchants. And, and that was evidently going on all over 19th and, and early 20th century Europe. Uh-huh. And and that's, I mean, the Battenbergs got into the British throne. And and that was, that you know, as far as we know, that's a first. And that's why Queen Elizabeth is the last legitimate survivor. However, it's it's it was bound to happen sooner or later with the amount of, of German nobles and, and and British nobles into marrying with the Jews, with with the Jewish merchants, with the the skions of the banking industry and, and the department stores. Yeah, and this uh, William Guy Carr he explains how these Jews they seduce these women, and after they seduce them, they they use them these they use these women to uh, co- commit sexual acts with the different politicians, and then after they get them to do that, then they control that politician from then on. And there's a lot of politicians that's in office today that, that if if they don't vote a certain way in the, in the office, they'll be exposed for some some sex acts back someplace. So, now, do you think that Prince Harry is a is a son of Prince Charles? Because there's a lot of conjecture about that. That William William to me William definitely looks like Charles. He has uh-huh. the same nose, the same countenance. It, it's it's a possibility. You know the way she was whoring around. It could be most anything because she got killed with an Arab, wasn't it? Right, and she probably I'm sure she deserved to be killed because she was with an Arab. Yeah. And and I think that that was a, an exposition. No matter how you want to think she got killed or why or what the conspiracy was behind it, I think that that was an exposition of the justice of Yahweh. It could have been. That that she was publicly destroyed, her and the Arab, because she was with this race mixer. Yeah. She, she was she was a race mixer. And and I think that that was a very good example that, that was set that night, that she was destroyed like that. 
I think I wish I would it would happen to more race mixers. I understand that for a, a, a new person to take the throne over there, it isn't decided just in England that there's there's families all over Europe that has to sign and allow a, a new person to take the throne. It is it isn't you know all those royal families have to agree on that. Right, but don't you think that they would today in today's day and age they would probably prefer somebody that was part Jew? Well, yeah, they, they might uh, they might go ahead and do something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it seems to me that all of those barriers are broken, and it might even be considered better. But but the promise is that David would always have have a descendant on that throne as long as the sun was shining and the moon was shining. And the last time I checked, they're both shining. Well, if it if the promise has to be limited, does the promise have to be limited to that particular throne, though? Yeah. Because there are other monarchies in Europe, even even though they're not. I mean, we know that the English monarchy is is uh, that's the premier. It seems to me the premier covenant nation. That's that's Ephraim, or or I mean, some commentators think that that's Manasseh and where Ephraim, but I I don't know about that. It seems to be the the seat of of Joseph and the seat of David. However, there are other thrones in Europe that are descended from David. Well, there's there's a lot of royal families over there. Uh, uh, I, I don't queen, remember. Queen, Holland still has the queen, don't they? Um, the Netherlands, I know, does. And uh, Oslo may, and, and Norway may still have an, an active monarchy. I know Spain still has an active monarchy, but I'm not sure of its legitimacy anymore. But I really think that would constitute another overturn uh you know i could be wrong but they that's my particular position on it now the stone of scone was sent back to edinburgh yeah there's another indication kind of where we're at and uh you know we can't really uh predict the future we're not prophets i'm not a prophet but right i'm not going to claim to be by any means we can read the mile markers yes there's mile markers there and and uh I think the stone of scone being sent back to Edinburgh is is profound. It means something. It means that nobody's uh, going to be crowned on it uh, unless it would be Christ. Right. Well, it's not going to be Charles. He, he's planning some kind of multicultural, multi-ecumenical. Well, he's, he's uh, almost the head of that Greenpeace movement, you know. Right, but he's planning a really vile coronation when he when he finally ascends to the throne. Well, that that would uh, you know, essentially that would be putting Satan on the throne. Is what it would amount to? Absolutely, and maybe that's you know we think of Obama being the abomination of desolation, standing in a holy place, but maybe it's really going to be Charles. We know there's books out on that that, that uh, they they think Prince Charles is the Antichrist. Yes. And they may have reached the conclusion for the wrong reasons, but they reached the right conclusion. <laughs> well, he's an antichrist, all right. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's the antichrist. The, you know, the, the, uh... Well, well, the scripture tells us that the Jews collectively are the antichrist. Yeah, right. And that's scriptural. And there's nothing, no other. The beast of Revelation 13 is they get that confused with the antichrist, but the scripture does not insist on that. John tells us the Antichrist, the, the, the actual term Antichrist is only used by the Apostle John in his first two epistles. 
And it clearly tells us that whoever denies that Yahshua is the Christ, he is the Antichrist. Yeah, anybody that uh, says that Yahweh, that Christ isn't Yahweh in the flesh, is an Antichrist. Right, that's and that's the, that automatically labels all of the Jews and, and the Muslims and all these people as the Antichrist. They collectively are the Antichrist. Yeah. As far as that goes, you could include all all the uh, non-Adamic people are Antichrist. Absolutely, they're, they're all created in violation of the laws of of the laws of Yahweh. They're not kind after kind. Once you're mixed, you're no longer kind after kind. You're, you violated the first law of Genesis. That was the first law of Genesis. That everything would be after its kind. Well, see, the Almighty made a horse. He, he created a horse and he created a donkey, but he didn't create a mule. Right. And that's what we have. And these today. people are mules. A world full of mules. Absolutely. Well, there's one thing about it. I'm not a prophet, and uh, I only try to understand the prophet. You know, uh, I think there's a thing, I think there's a scripture that says that the last prophet was John. Is that John the Revelator or John the Baptist? Well, that's Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. Yeah. Christ says all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah, and, and in English that means A to Z, I believe. I think that that's a sign telling us something. <laughs> Because Z is not the last letter in the Greek alphabet. That Z is actually the seventh or the eighth letter. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, Omega is the last letter. In yeah, that, that's yeah, that's right. And Yahshua was the Alpha and the Omega, but Z in, in the Greek alphabet comes towards the beginning of the alphabet. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it but in the, when you you know there's another word play in, in the New Testament. Uh, where it talks about the sun of righteousness and, and let the sun set or, or rise the sun, you know, let the sun rise upon you and and that's a sun and sun wordplay in English but not in Greek and and this is also, you know, the prophets, all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah who they slew between the temple and the altar that all the prophets from A to Z in English make sense but not, not in Greek and, and I think it's a you know, Yahweh designed language, and, and I think that that's a purposeful indi indicator for us in this day and age. And and yes, Paul says in Hebrews that in, in ancient times, Yahweh spoke to the to our fathers through the prophets, but today he speaks to us through Yahshua the Son. And and I think that there are no prophets in, in that sense of the I, I think anybody today that claims to be a prophet, I, I don't believe they're prophets. I, I, I don't believe uh, they may think they're prophets, but I don't believe them. Right, and, and people like Pete Peters claims to be a prophet, and, and he has all sorts of prophecies that he's made that haven't come true. And And he's an obvious false prophet, but he won't admit it. He just keeps changing his mind. There, there's one thing to study prophecy, and to be a prophet's two different things. Absolutely. <clears throat> and and that's why often in my translations I translated that term, and, and it, it has the meaning in Greek of being an interpreter of prophecy. Yeah, that's what it should be. Yes, and, and that's how <clears throat> they often translate it. 
then there's some people have the gift of prophecy, you know, like the, the different gifts, you know. And some people have the gift of understanding prophecy. Absolutely. But they're not prophets. Right, and we were told that by Paul. And and there's another use of the word prophet in, in the New Testament, and it, it's not really, um, it, it's not the usual use of the word from the context, but it means just a revealer of, of things that are, are not yet, you know, that are, aren't manifest. Like Christ telling the woman at the well that she had um, five husbands, and the man she was with at the time wasn't her husband. And and that's one example of that meaning of the term prophet. And and I think that that may be with us, but, but to foretell the future and to know that that, that, that sort of prophet is, is long gone. That, that's my belief also, anyway. Well, it's been a very quick hour and a half. Oh, I notice it's uh, and, and 9.37 here I have. It's been a real pleasure having you here. It's it's just um, I, I wish we we can do it again soon or or have more time. Yeah. Is, is there anything that you'd like to say before we we close? Or? Well, I, I think we said said enough. Say any more, everybody will be confused. <laughs> <laughs> time to quit. Okay. Well, it's I've really enjoyed having you, and, and I really thank you for. For coming here and, and talking with us. Okay. And and with that, I'll close the show. Praise and, Yahweh. And, and you always bless everybody's been listening there. Thank you. Mm-hmm.